If you're looking for a show about everyday black dreamers and doers, you've come to the right place. Join me on a quest to find ordinary people doing extraordinary things, reinterpreting the rules of the game in order to achieve life on their own terms. I'm your host, Moses Tillman Young, and welcome to the Black Gold Podcast. In this episode, I interview Dee Daniels. She is an award-winning jazz vocalist, composer, arranger, and music teacher. In our conversation, Dee and I discuss her critically acclaimed album, The Promise, which was created during her battle with terminal cancer, a musical journey including the development of her vocal range and teaching methods, and her profound onstage experiences which further emphasized the healing power of music, as well as her role as a catalyst for being an inspiration to change audiences' lives. So sit back, relax, and get ready for a new episode of Black Gold Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Black Gold Podcast. Today I have with me another wonderful jazz icon, and her name is Dee Daniels, and she's an award-winning jazz vocalist, a composer, and an arranger with a dynamic voice and a captivating stage presence that have just wowed audiences worldwide. And with over three decades of experience in the music industry, Dee is a true master of her craft. And she was also awarded the Legacy Award from the National Congress of Black Women Foundation. So Dee, Daniels, thank you so much for showing up to the podcast today. The pleasure is all mine. <laughs> so first question is the beginning. How did it all start for you in terms of getting into jazz as your main career in music? Did you have any other interests, musical interests at that time? My first music is gospel music. I grew up in in church, of course, uh, of course. <laughs> in Oakland, California, my stepfather was a uh, Baptist minister, right? So any black Baptist ministers that I knew of, if they had any children, at least one was going to have something to do with music. And I being the eldest of five, that, that was my job, <laughs> you know. So, and I was really interested in music. So I, you know, studied piano and not for long periods of time because my parents actually couldn't afford to give me lessons consistently, but I knew enough to continue to teach myself how to read music, right? So when I, by the time I was nine years old, I was playing piano for the Sunday school and by the time I was 11, which is the time my stepfather came into our family, I was hired to be the pianist for three choirs of the church. And that also meant being, you know, responsible for tune selection and teaching harmonies and all that kind of stuff. And so I did that 
through in, into my entry into university. But anyway, to shorten this story just a little bit, when my passion growing up was art. So my degree is actually in art. I have a, a degree in art and a, a doctorate, an honorary doctorate in fine arts as well. Um, so when I, for music, because I always had it in my life, in, in school, you know, I was in the choirs. In university is when I joined the first band and I was doing serious rock and roll and R&B of the day. You know, this, this goes back long time ago, right? So, and, but I still pursued my, my art and it wasn't until after I graduated from university and actually started teaching art in one of the high schools in Seattle, did I realize that music was my true calling. And I joined the band and while I was still teaching and we were working six nights a week, week after week. So I'm working six nights a week and then teaching, you know, during the week in the daytime. And my body says, gotta stop. <laughs> so I did. And I went from singing rock and roll that lasted about a year before I realized that wasn't my, my bag, got into R and B and pop music of the day. And because I was working every night, you know, six, at least six nights a week, I began, I called it messing with the melody and change. You know, I, I heard, always heard other melodic possibilities, right? And so I said, what the heck, you know, I just used started, you know, being spontaneous. I didn't know that was called improvisation at the time, you know, and not until the media began referring to me as a jazz singer, which I was very perturbed about and went to some of the elder musicians who were jazz musicians and said, what is this about? And they said, take it as a compliment jazz music is the original art form so now what you need to do is go listen and that's what i did and one thing led to another i ended up going moving to europe where i had an opportunity just because of circumstances to immerse myself in jazz and that's the shortest version of that story i could probably give you Wow. But that's that's how I got into jazz. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds very varied and, and and very God too in the way that you just naturally organically got mm -hmm. into it. That process that's very fascinating. What have been some of your influences? You said that they said recommended that you go ahead and listen to some people. Were there any specific artists that once you listen to them, you tried to just understand where they were coming from and understand how they were going at it? Who were some um, of the people that you would say really influenced you in that way? Well, in the very beginning, I actually listened more to instrumental jazz. And because I'm coming out of the gospel, blues, you know, R&B, pop world, I was really into groove, you know, and um, there was a label at that time called the CTI label where they had artists like Freddie Hubbard, Grover Washington, that I really got into because it was jazz, but it, it had a groove to it, you know, and 
Of course, today they call that smooth jazz, right? Or adult contemporary, whatever. But then it was fusion, it was cool jazz, right? So, and it was from that there that I started listening to vocalists, jazz vocalists, you know, Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday, Peggy Lee, Sarah Vaughn, Carmen McRae, Betty Carter, and, you know, all, all, all of those girls. And, but growing up, in Oakland on the radio stations at the time, depending on what day of the week, what hour of the day, you could hear almost any kind of music. I mean, gospel, blues, R&B, crooner, the, you know, the crooners of the day and, and all of that kind of thing. So I, I had a really nice, varied, very diverse background of music that that I grew up listening to, you know, so, but to tune in to the singers, the jazz singers was very, very helpful to me. I mean, it was, I said, oh, wow. I, and I realized that once I evolved into jazz, one of the things that really inspired me was the fact that I was supposed to do, I was expected to do what came to me naturally, and that was improvise, you know, whereas if I had remained in the pop world, I was expected to do, you know, when you're doing cover tunes, to perform them exactly like the original cover, you know, but jazz allowed me and expected me to, to, to improvise, you know, and to, to, to be spontaneous in the moment, right? And that was, wow, that was heaven to me, you know, at the time. Yeah. And also, it just seems as, as if all those things really, really helped to foster your interest, not just in jazz, but music overall. And you're also a composer and, and arranger. So how does you listening to a bit of gospel over here, some blues, some jazz, and all these different types, some vocals, some instrumental. How mm -hmm. does that, whenever you're creating your own pieces, how do you then put all of those different aspects together into your own piece? Um, well, um, the when I first began writing music, composing, I composed many songs and never did anything with them because I didn't think I was good enough at what it took, you know, and it was years, a few years after I actually started composing that I got the nerve or the courage, not the nerve, but the courage, you know, to actually record <laughs> one of those songs and, you know, got some favorable feedback. And this, of course that was encouraging, you know, to continue on. But as far as, the evolution of that, that uh, of my songwriting, um, yeah, you know, just listening, 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 and listening some more, you know, to uh, how and 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 actually studying how the 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 craft of songwriting, right? That was really helpful too, and but as you mature and as a human being and have more life experience, you have more to, to talk about. You know, 
I'm a singer, I'm a storyteller. So I, it occurred to me one day, I finally made the connection that, you know, instead of sitting here trying, trying to write a song, why don't I just talk about any story that, you know, any experience that I've had in my life, you know, and of course, one of the most common ones is love, you know, all kinds of love, romantic, friendship, fam, you know, family, whatever, you know, and that was yet another leap in into the evolution of me becoming a songwriter, you know, the, the, the most recent work that I've done, which was actually my first complete CD, CD of original material was called The Promise. And that CD came out of the healing experience I had from breast cancer here back in 2015. I was meditating every day and I was having all of these, these incredible, I, I like to call them adventures via meditation, you know, I mean, just things were coming to me and music, songs, lyrics, melodies, chords were just coming to me, you know, to the point so fast that I always had to have my, my phone on voice memo, you know, so I wouldn't forget. And I actually, during that healing period, I actually wrote enough songs to, to have three CDs. So I said, well, well, I got to start somewhere. So I just selected 12 of, or 11 of those songs and created the CD that uh, is called The Promise. And it's all inspirational music. I, I don't call it gospel music because gospel, while wow, there's so many styles of gospel, but it is inspirational and is based on my personal experiences, snippets, stories that came out of that experience, you know, so, and it's, it's been very critically acclaimed and, and have received awards globally. Um, so yeah, it, it, uh, it's a far, far, far cry <laughs> from that first song <laughs> that I won't say the first song that I wrote, but the first song that I actually got the courage to record, you know, but uh, yeah, and I enjoy the process, but I, I'm not one of those prolific songwriters, you know, I just write upon inspiration, you know, when something comes up, I said, oh yeah, I can, there's something there that I should, I'd like to share, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, th that's really incredible because if you're going through this horrible experience, but as you're going through it, you're then gifted these different melodies, different, different sounds, different tunes. And so you're able to, as a result of that experience, and, and I'm assuming that you, you are perfectly fine today. You are completely in, in remission. I, oh, not, not remission. No, I had a serious I refer to it as old school Jesus style healing. Amen. And and that that was in 2015. In 2020, I had cancer again and actually that was for the third time. This was liver cancer. And so here I am covid, everything is crazy and I'm in the hospital having surgery for liver cancer that you know, but 
I actually knew why I had that cancer. Because when I had breast cancer, which was the, my second cancer, the first one was ovarian many years ago. I, I always felt very deeply that if I had had been just a little bit stronger and I could have healed myself without four rounds of chemo. As it was, I did have a healing experience after that and, and uh, refused or declined, I should say, radiation and medication for five years. But I always felt that deep in my soul and my spirit, you know, that I could have done that, you know. So when, when the, the liver cancer came up here three years ago, I actually saw it as an opportunity to do what I thought I could have done the time before. And so I had the surgery on June 1st, 2020. And they took, you know, I think they left like a quarter of my liver and said they had gotten everything, no need for any further, you know, treatment. But then at towards the end of the year, when I had to do a CT scan just to see how things were going, they discovered that it had metastasized. It was stage four and a half and it was terminal, right? So <laughs> the uh, when I found out this information, it would happen to have been on my birthday, January 11th of 2021. And uh, so I asked the, the uh, oncologist, I said, okay, he, after he told me what the treatment possibilities were, there were actually only two. One was a new trial drug and one was the, the conventional chemo for that kind of cancer. And the, the third option was to do nothing. My inclination in the beginning was to do nothing, that I was going to heal myself. So, but my husband, you know, thank God bless him, wanted me to do anything and everything I could to live longer because I, the, the, one of the first questions, I'm a person who loves information. I'm curious. I, I, when I have information, then I can make more intelligent decisions, you know, in, in this case about my health. Right. So I said, okay, if I do this, this, if I take this, this, the, the traditional uh, conventional chemo, I know you don't know, you know, because nobody knows, but according to your experience, the any data, statistics, how long average are, are, am I looking at, you know, to live with the conventional? He said about 11 months. I said, okay, if I do this, this new trial drug, how, how long am I looking at? He said about 15. And I said, okay, if I do nothing, how, how much, how long? And he said, around eight months. I said, okay. Now, my husband, like I said, God bless him. He, he wanted me to just live, but I'm saying to myself, right now I feel great, but once I start chemo, I'm not gonna feel good anymore until I die, according to them, right? So I did do two rounds of chemo for my husband, but the second one, literally almost killed me. It inflamed my body so bad that I, it gave me hepatitis. Okay, that's how inflamed I was. So now Goodness. I got to take prednisone to get rid of the inflammation, which I did, and everything has side effects. So 
But but that was enough for me because I take everything as a sign. I, I think I believe that everything happens for a reason. You know, I believe that we have choice. I believe that we do have the power to create our reality, to heal ourselves very, very strongly. So that was enough for me to say, okay, what the universe, God, spirit, my higher self, whatever you want to call it, is saying to me, go with your intuition. So I stopped. I didn't continue that, that treatment and set about healing myself. That was three years ago. There is no cancer nowhere in my body. So I don't talk about remission. I just don't have cancer. Amen. Okay, I'm done. And, and I, I understand why I had this. I believe that I created this in order to give myself an opportunity to get into my higher self and heal this, this myself. I believe that, you know, so yeah, that, that's, that's <laughs> where I've been and have come to come to from, from that experience, you know, and I, I'm grateful for it all. I wouldn't change anything as awful as it is and was because it isn't anymore, but as awful as it was, I wouldn't change anything because it has led me to where I am today, you know, which is alive and, and have had experiences that I can, that certainly comes through my music, you know, and my goal is to inspire, uplift, spread love because love is the answer, you know, and that's, that's all I care about anymore. Period. You know? And yeah, I mean, when you said like love is the answer, one of the things I've been thinking about for the past couple of weeks Mm -hmm. um, is the idea of, of, of God is love. Mm -hmm. And, and that, and that saying, and if you would like flip it, love is God too. Yes. And so, again, that goes to the golden rule, you know, treat your neighbor as you would treat yourself. And so whenever you do that, you are acting in the will of God. And so, yeah. Yes. And, and you don't even have to believe in God. It's just being a human being, you know, and the, following the golden rule, you know, the, the golden rule is, is the simplest answer to anything in the world that's going on right now, you know. Just in, 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 you know, and I, I understand diversity. I understand that everybody is unique and that we all come into this world and we have all of these infinite types of experiences and so forth. But in general, you know, if you just treat people the way you want to be treated, you know, with, with your energy, with your spirit, it can solve so many problems and turn this world around from the ways that it is, you know, I mean, there's enough here for everybody in this, on this planet, there is enough for everybody to live a decent life. Everybody, technology, as it continues to progress, you know, there's no reason for anybody to be hungry, homeless, you know, and yes, okay, I understand, you know, there, there's situations that people are born into, that there are situations that, that 
happen to be to people mental illness and all of that kind of stuff but we have everything we need to help to make a difference a positive difference you know but you gotta love you gotta think about well how would i want to be treated you know and uh, you know maybe that's i don't know but that that's where i'm coming from you know so in in doing that that album Mm-hmm. Uh, did you did you have these ideas when you were going through your treatment and you were doing a meditation and they came to you did you then proceed to make an album in that state or did you wait until you were healed and then you went and you pieced together what you found from your experience oh I I as soon as I had the strength, because I mean, chemo is a son of a gun, it just zaps you, right? And then, you know, just kind of re- re- tra- recovering from all the side effects. I, st- I started going into the studio, just me and playing piano and, and making demos out of these songs, you know? And later on, I started sequencing, which means, you know, on my keyboard, I can add drums, bass, strings, horns, whatever. And, but it was very, very evident to me that what I was supposed to do with these songs were to share them, right? And the story behind the songs, you know, the story behind the experience that created the songs, right? So the, the following year, now we're into 2016, is when I went to Chicago and that's where I recorded, you know, all the, the basic tracks and, and backing vocals and all of that kind of stuff. Right. And I said, okay, you know, I, I, I feel, I know I've been led and gifted with all of this material, you know, so I just keep taking steps, you know, and not necessarily knowing where I'm going, but I realize I don't need to know. If I just keep taking steps and trust, you know, I will be led. Everything I need will be there exactly when I need it. And that's exactly what happened. Exactly, you know. So, yeah. And then the uh, the latest CD that I have with, uh, with my stage buddy, Denzel Sinclair, is called Let It Shine, Let It Shine. And Denzel and I, Denzel, by the way, is incredible vocalist from Toronto. And um, we met actually several years ago and had an opportunity to do a symphony pops program with a, a Canadian orchestra. And we did a big band concert together, you know, and I mean, I, I just love the guy singing. I love him as a human being, you know, we are on similar wave paths as, as far as our spirituality is concerned. And when we created the, the current pops program, which is called Unforgettable, the music of Nat and Natalie Cole, right? The first time out, we needed an encore. People were just standing up clapping and they wouldn't sit down. 
well, we didn't have a built-in encore. So Denzel says, hey, do you know Steal Away? I said, yeah, you mean the, the spiritual Steal Away? He said, yeah. I said, yeah. So we just went, walked out on the, on the stage, did the song together a cappella. The audience went berserkle, right? Wow. So we started using that as our encore, and we always, always get the same reaction. So one night, Denzel says, why don't we do he first said a pops program of hymns and spirituals, you know, well, I would love to do that, you know, so I was talking to the marketing person of an independent record label here in, in Vancouver, Seller Music, and he says, well, you guys, yeah, you okay, you can do, go ahead, do whatever you got to do with the pops program, but why don't you make a CD? you know, of that music like now. <laughs> so that's the, it took us two years because of, of, you know, the whole pandemic and so forth, but we finally did it. And we pulled in musicians from the States that, that we knew that understood the context of the music. It's one thing to play with great musicians. You know, they, they're, they're studied, they're skilled, and they, they can read and, and improvise and all that kind of stuff. But it's another thing when to, to understand the actual context of the music because you have lived it, you know. And so that, that's what we did. So we, we brought four incredible musicians up. John Clayton on bass, who is also our arranger and, and producer. Isaiah Thompson from, John is from California, Southern California. Isaiah Thompson on piano. He's the young blood of the group. He was, at that time, he was only 24, but he was the, he is the pianist of the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. Herlin Riley, who is an incredible drummer from New Orleans and has just a wealth of beats and stuff, you know, and then Bobby Floyd, who's from Columbus, Ohio on, on Hammond B3, who is, oh my God, <laughs> one of those kind of, oh my God players. And these guys, you know, went to church. They're all African-American, but they went to church. They understand that music, you know, and, and we all ended up in Calgary, Alberta, up in Canada at a, a beautiful studio where it's in a like a mansion that sits outside of the city of Calgary out in just farmland and but it has you know bedrooms kitchen and all of that kind of stuff so we actually lived there for a week had a chef eating very well <laughs> for a week and could record and rehearse you know and um so we're and so this this let it shine let it shine was released just in in june this year and we're very happy with the outcome of it you know because it allows us to share that music that also has is hopefully inspiring to people uplifting to people in the midst of all of this world this global chaos you know you know how sometimes when you first meet people there's a connection 
you know, you, you don't know what it is, why it is and, and all of that kind of stuff, but it's something. And, and I've, I've had many, many encounters with people where that has happened. And it was a momentary thing. You talk to them, you know, maybe sometimes just for a few moments and you never see them again, but they, they've left, they've made a deposit in your life, right? Well, that's how it, it was when I first met Denzel all those years ago, you know, and to get to the point where, you know, here we are back together again and get to share some incredible music together on stage. Wow, it's like <laughs> being in heaven all the time, you know. So, and I think from what we see that the reaction of the audiences reflect that, you know, they feel that, you know, and, you know, that's what it's all about, you know, connecting, making a positive difference in people's lives, you know, and yeah, you know, we need that. We still, we got to spread love, you know? So yeah, we just have our fingers crossed that people will hear it and, and that it will make a positive difference in their lives when they do. So I, I feel very blessed, you know, to, to work with Denzel and to have had the opportunity to create this, this uh, CD. Mm -hmm. Wow. One of the other things about you too, is that you're also a, a voice coach and you also host different clinics as well. Mm -hmm. um, how did you get into that? alongside your own career as a jazz musician? Like, was it something that just blossomed organically or was it more of a, okay, and I want to focus on helping others achieve their dreams of being able to, to sing jazz? It was both, both of those. I, I am a teacher, okay? As I said, I, I, my degree is in art. I taught art, but... I've always been told since I can remember being a little girl, yeah, you're a teacher, you're a teacher, you know, and I, 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 I feel that I always have felt that, you know, I, I love it. You know, I love sharing information, you know, so when I first got into music, it was about, I had been in as a professional for about a year and I realized that I felt limited, you know, I always heard more that I could do with my voice, but I didn't know how to access it, you know, cause coming in church, coming out of the church, you know, you're singing hard, you know, and, and the range might be somewhat limited, you know, I mean, I'm talking about back in the day. Right. But I always heard more, you know, but I didn't know how to access it. So I went and took a couple of lessons from a master teacher in that was in Seattle. Washington. And his name was George Peckham. And when I went to see George, he was 77 years old at that time, still teach. He was he, everybody who was anybody, no matter what genre of music they were in, if they were in that area, area, they studied at some point with George, right. And he was 77 teaching full time and performing still and had a five octave range 
Now that fascinated me, you know. So the first time I went to see George, the lesson was only a half an hour, but I was his last lesson of the day. So I never sung a note. He just talked. But I was so receptive, so open that what he told me, the, his concepts, they just resonated with me. You know, I can see it, I could feel it. And because I was working six day, six nights a week, that's where I went and practiced on stage, you know? So, and when I went to see George, I had a solid octave and a half. And the thing is, because I am a curious person, I knew every nuance of every note within that octave and a half. So it wasn't just being able to sing a scale octave, but I just all of the nuances of each note, you know, I really delved into that. Within two months of seeing George, because I only saw him two times because I was traveling a lot too, I had my range had increased to two and a half octaves. Within three months, I had three octaves. Within five months, I had four octaves. Now, since then, I have added up to a fifth octave. And at this point in my, my, my life, at the age that I am, that should be dwindling. But I am discovering new half steps up all the time. You know, and when I when I hit the fifth octave, I said, holy, <laughs> holy moly, you know, and so it's not only going high, but but it, it I have five octaves high, but I also continue to discover lower notes. Right. So and it's all based on what he told me. But in the meantime, George is the one that encouraged me to teach because he he. He saw that, you know, and because I'm not studied, I'm not educated in music, my way of teaching, of imparting information is from a practical point of view. You know, I've figured this out, you know, and I, I know it works because I've tried it and I do it. You know, my, my voice, people keep telling me even, I mean, con constantly that, that, know me from years and years and, and some some people like 40 years ago how can you be getting better how can your voice sound better you know well it's because of what george told me you know and there's 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 two other women that are dear friends of mine that are that are singers that also studied with george and they know what i'm talking about because they have the same thing they say i was just talking to one lives in Kansas City just here a few weeks ago and she's still out there and you know none of us have the warble that usually happens you know as you start getting older none of that you know and our voices are still strong but it's because but anyway George George encouraged me very much to start teaching he said share you you, you understand this you're doing it so you need to share that information. And because I am a natural born teacher, I love it. I, I get just as much out of teaching as I do being on the stage. You know, I mean, the adrenaline kicks in. And the thing is, I, I come from a point of view that is not from a 
classroom. It's from practical experience, along with what I've developed, uh, continued to develop the, the concepts that George taught me, right? So I, I, they, they have become mine. I've, I've, they have evolved, right? And they work. And, and I've created various clinic topics, you know, that, that can help people. And they said, well, how, how, other teachers who are educated, I said, how, how do you do that? I said, well, I had a good foundation from George, what he told me. And then I am a working teacher. So I'm constantly learning, you know, it's constantly, it never stops. Right. And, and I love it, you know, so yeah, it works. Yeah. That's the best way to teach, teach and do. Yeah. Teach and do. Yeah. It's a great combination. (laughs) So what were some vocal exercises that you would do before you met George, and then how were you able to modify those exercises into what he taught you? Well, I wasn't doing any vocal exercises no. before I met George. I was just go sing, you know, no warm ups, no nothing, you know, because that's what we do in church. Ain't nobody, well, I don't know what they do these days, but back then, you know, somebody starts playing the, the piano, the intro, and when you come, you know, when you're supposed to sing, you just start singing. Nobody said, well, I think we should do a few scales here <laughs> to warm up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, t- I, I can tell you something. It was a pivotal point for me in, in exactly what you're talking about. What do I do in preparation for singing? In 1992, I was invited to the Lionel Hampton Jazz Festival for the first time. From that that year on, I was invited every year, consecutive year for 16 years, right? Now, when I got the invitation, I thought it was just a, a like a regional jazz festival because this was an educational comp- competitive festival. So you have all of these high schools and universities and colleges coming to compete, you know, vocal, instrumental, all big band to, to combos, soloists as, as far as vocalists are concerned and instrumental, jazz ensembles, vocal ensembles, all kinds of things, right? And, um, but it wasn't until a week before I arrived, before the concert started, I mean, the festival started that I got a program in the mail because I wasn't using computers then. And I said, Oh my God, this is huge. I thought it was just a little school, you know, university thing. Cause it's at the university of Idaho and in, in Mos- Moscow, they don't say Moscow, Moscow, Idaho. And I said, all of these living legends of jazz, there were about 80 musicians there and it's over a four day period, Wednesday through Saturday. That year, there were seven singers, vocalists over the four year, over the four days. My night was Thursday night. The other singer on that night was Al Jarreau. Okay, oh my God, Al Jarreau. I mean, I loved Al Jarreau, right? And and there were so many musicians and, you know, you only played one night, 
you know, but there were so many musicians per night that the concerts were at least three hours long. And it was inside the Kibbe Dome, the athletic dome where they play, play football, very, very well organized. So there was no downtime in between. It was just like a, a, a flow, you know, of, of people coming on, going off, coming on. And I, I, <laughs> the, yeah, it, it, it was incredible. But you have these people there and sometimes they'd only play one song and they create these unique combinations. So it wasn't a, a, a complete band. The only band that was complete whenever they were invited was the Roy Hargrove Quintet, right? they would come as a quintet but everybody else came you know individually and they assembled these unique you know bands so i the the on wednesday night i had arrived wednesday day i was sitting out in the audience listening to the musicians on stage and i was sitting next to Oliver Jones, who is actually a very, very well-known Canadian, globally known Canadian pianist. And Oliver and I had met just a few months prior. So he was the only person there that knew I played piano. And we're sitting there up in the bleachers watching, you know, and he said, D, you know, you, you got three songs, right? Yep. He said, well, I just want you to know that I'm only going to play on two of those songs. I said, Oliver, what are you, what are you saying? He said, you're going to need to play one of those songs. I said, Oliver, please don't do that to me. I mean, Hank Jones is here. You're here. I forget what the, the other piano players that were there. I mean, please don't, you know, I almost cried <laughs> because I said, I'm not a jazz pianist. I, I'm a rhythm player. I play gospel stuff you know and i okay so i picked up a few jazz chords you know from working with people over these years you know but he said no that's it so i had to go to my hotel room and i decided okay for that that third song i'm going to play a gospel song that had this that has a blues format with with a bridge and the song was what is this you know what is this makes me feel so good right now you know so that's what i did and the other the other two songs were an original tune called i got this bridge i want you to buy it's a blues shuffle got a monologue the whole thing so i opened up with that and I, then i went to the piano to play the, this gospel what is this song with with the bass and drummer and Lionel Hampton was supposed to come out on my third tune, which was the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and I was going to swing it, right? But Lionel came out on my second song just at the time I was supposed to take a solo, right? Well, I was scared to death because I'm not a soloist. You know, I'm not a linear soloist. I can, I'm a rhythm player, right? And so when Lionel came out with his, his vibraphone mallets in his hands, I said, oh, thank you, Jesus, you know? <laughs> so he took the solo and I completed that and I went and stood up again 
Oliver came back to the piano and we did the Battle Hymn of the Republic. So when I when I finished this, now I you know, it, it was like having an out-of-body experience. But just prior to my going onto the stage, I was, I don't use the word nervous because it has negative connotations and they're all fear-based, but I had way too much adrenaline, right? Well, for a singer, your instrument is internal. You don't need adrenaline. You, you need it, but you don't need it like spurting out of your head like a fountain. And that's what it was doing, right? So I, I, I found myself in a quiet place off the stage and the stage is huge that they build because it's in this athletic dome. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. And behind the stage is a whole nother space with big screen monitors and a whole other sound system. So all the musicians and are back there, there's a bistro back there, there's RVs back there where, you know, people can put their coats and it's really a whole like a like a club back there right so <laughs> I'm standing and I'm saying okay I close my eyes and I said okay D what do you want here tonight you know and I said I want to be used tonight to 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 make a, a positive difference in people's lives so and just as I said that, the word catalyst came to mind. And I said, yes, that's it. I want to be a catalyst. And then I changed that to I am a catalyst to touch people in ways that only spirit, only source knows they need to be touched. Everybody here in this room, 360 degrees, I want to be the catalyst for source to touch people in ways that only source knows they need to be touched. And as I'm saying that, because and this was a thought, this happened in just seconds, right? Mm -hmm. But to try to explain it, it takes me a, a couple of minutes. So at, at, as, as, at that moment, the word catalyst came to mind with my eyes closed, there appeared in front of me a plumber's pipe. It was a, like a bronze plumber's pipe with the curve you know and my perspective was from behind it and there was a very soft warm light source from off my screen to my right shining on this and the rest was just a black void and as it appeared liquid dense dense liquid light came into the mouth of the top of the pipe and when it came out the elbow it was like a band of light and at this moment, you know, I felt like someone had poured liquid honey on me and I just kind of elevated to like about six inches and that I could hear that they were making the, my introduction, you know, so I just kind of glided, you know, sideways, kind of swirling up the stage to the center of the stage and the rest, I really don't remember it all, you know, so there I am, but, but I, I, I just felt there you know so when i finished the when i released the very last note of the battle hymn of the republic which was my last song i had this sensation like like and it, it kind of jolted me a little bit you know like i had been was having an out-of-body experience and now i'm i'm shaking 
you know, and all I want to do is get off the stage. You know, it's a big stage. So I had to go way over the corner to get off the stage. And um, so I, I, the, uh, but I couldn't go right away because they give the women flowers, right? So I had to get, take the flowers. Lionel's there. He pulls me down because he was a little guy, pulled me down, put a wet, juicy kiss on, on my lips. Then I, I was, when he let me go, I went over and Al Jarreau is standing there at the, at the top of the stairs. D, D Daniels, go back, go back. And I'm saying, you know, so I look back and they're beckoning me to come back, Lionel, you know. And I go back and I look out in the audience and I realize that everybody in the room is standing up. They're clapping. They're calling out my name. They're whistling and all that kind of stuff. I was totally oblivious to that. Didn't see none of that, hear none of that. And so, you know, I, I just took a bow. I couldn't do an encore because Al Jarreau was next, you know, and nobody does encores, right? So, so I, I, when I, 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 you know, got through all of that and I, at the end of the evening, I went to my hotel room and I sat in the chair and I said, what the heck was that? You know, and a little voice that's always right here that I listened to, learned to listen to him very, very intently said, what you asked for, but only way more than you could have imagined in that moment, you know? And since from that moment on, I never ever perform without going there because there is just a thought. That is it for me. I am a catalyst for source. And all I want is to be that catalyst for source to touch everybody in the room in ways that only source knows they need to be touched. That is my preparation. Wow, that's incredible. That's what I do. And see, I also know that the same source, I said, okay, also, I say an extra blessing. I'd like an extra blessing. The extra blessing is that I access my entire range effortlessly and completely. That is all I do, period. I don't do vocal warm-ups. I don't do anything because I know that it's here first in the mind. You know, what do you want? Can you see yourself doing it, being it in the moment? What does it feel like, you know, in your imagination, what does it feel like to be there doing what you say you want to do? That is my preparation. Yeah. And, and it's very interesting to see how, how your process and, and then Zol's process is, is very sort of similar in that he, what he does is that he, uh, what he mentioned at least was that he he doesn't want to um, exert his voice as much. So what he does is he tries to relax, calm down, not talk as much also mm -hmm. on like the day of perf uh, performance and just really get into what he's about to do and just let it mm -hmm. sit with him before he goes out on stage, performs, mm -hmm. and then afterwards it's like, it's like, ugh, like he just let down because of yeah. everything that just happened. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's, it's intense in a wonderful, 
loving way. I mean, I, 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 it, it's hard to, to really describe that feeling, but it's like a, a welling up of, of joy, of, of a welling up of, of love, you know, and, and what, what I've learned over time is that I have the ability to uh, turbocharge that feeling just by thinking that's what I want to do, you know, and it, for, for me, and as I, I teach in my, in my clinics and master classes and stuff, I said, I have a gigantic zipper that goes from the top of my head all the way down to the tips of my toes. I reach in and I open up and what is inside just pours out is this incredibly white, dense light. And it fills every, what do they call it? Crook and nanny, I forgot what they call that, that saying, but it fills up every space. And I believe that everybody else has that, that light, that energy that you can call it love, whatever you want to call it. Some people who come to your concerts because they know you, they know your music, they like you, they come already unzipped. Other people come partially unzipped because they like music. They might not even know you. Some people come totally zipped up because maybe it's it's a husband who got dragged there by the wife or something. <laughs> no. But they still have the zipper, right? So I believe that this light, this love, this energy is all positive, is so powerful that it has the ability to help people unzip if they, all the way. Because I believe that, that we as human beings, our natural state is love. Now we get sidetracked, take detours, whatever, life, you know, whatever. But I believe that's our natural state. So, and as the results that, that are extremely consistent is that is so. And so people have the tendency to let, let themselves unzip all the way. And now you've got a room full of, 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 of this energy, this love, this, that is healing to people. It, 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 I've had people over, over, over my career amazingly come up to me and, and several times um, say that D, I, and I didn't know who you were, but, you know, somebody, if a friend or whatever said I should come to this concert. So I came, I felt depressed or in, in, had anxiety or whatever. And I don't know what happened, but I don't feel that way anymore. I've had people come to me in, in usually uh, abroad and in, in a smaller a, a smaller performance space, you know, where they have more access to me and say, I was considering taking my life and now I, I, I listen to your music and I, I feel hopeful. I haven't felt hopeful in a long time. More, 
a few, not just one, you know. So I know, I know the power of music, you know, and I know when you give your, yourself as a performer, as a creator of music, when I give myself intention as to why I'm doing that, I know that it increases the, the, the energetic power of it. It's, it's all, and that's why I say it's all about love, you know, because that's all I got when I'm on stage. You know, and I try to keep that off stage. When I'm off stage, too, I maintain it to the best of my ability. You know, but love is the answer. Yeah, and and I really like your your zipper analogy because it is that it's that people have that potential within them, but mm-hmm. it's as you said, like um, in that in that instant, and you've held on to that, like you are the catalyst. You are the one to help them to unzip mm-hmm. and be able to find the inner potential that they have and so in doing so you're then really helping others and just adding more adding more light and, and more goodness and more love to the world in that way yeah yeah that's what that's what i want to do and through my music that's all i want to do well d thank you so much for having a conversation with me i have another question for you and that yeah. is if you had the ability to send a worldwide text, what would your message be? Wow. Well, the first thing that came to my mind before you almost got that out of your mouth was love is the answer. And, and I mean, that, that, that's it to me, you know, I mean, you know, you could get into, well, what does that mean in this situation, that kind of situation? I don't know, you know, that would take some time and it's a personal thing. It becomes, it comes down to a personal thing, but in general, I would, that's what I would say. Love is the answer, you know, start with yourself. Well, Dee, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation that we just had. Where can the listeners go to be able to listen to your work and get in touch with you? If they go to my website, which is my name, D Daniels, and that's spelled out D-E-E-D-A-N-I-E-L-S.com. They can hear my music. They can see me. They can know where, where I am, what I'm doing. Also, um, if you go to on Facebook to D Daniels Music, that's there. Instagram is D Daniels Music as well. If you go search me on YouTube, you'll find me all over YouTube. Yeah, so I even do Twitter every now and then. <laughs> but but my my website, my Facebook and YouTube, those are the three most important places. Well, Dee, again, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. Oh, you're more than welcome. Pleasure is mine. Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Gold Podcast, Stories of Black Dreamers and Doers. Please go ahead and subscribe and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to the podcast right now so that it can reach more people. If you want to get in touch with me personally, go ahead and send me an email at blackgoldpod at gmail.com. 
If you want to talk about the show or if you want to talk about how to create your own podcast, where you can find people and talk with them about the topic of your interest. If you want to go further into doing that, make sure to go to www.blackgoldpod.com and go ahead and scroll all the way down to the bottom and get yourself a copy of the Side Gig Podcast Guide. It's a guide that I put together for you to start a quality podcast on a low budget. So go ahead and do those things, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.